think that part of our idea with it being Northwest Navigation is kind of like why we decided to name the company that, right? And why did we decide to name the company that? We are looking for the longest URL we could possibly find. We actually came up with the name of the company before the internet really took off. But it was a joke. I mean, every time it came up, we're like, wow, instead of having something short, we have this really long, hard to type word that nobody can quite figure out which vowels to use in the middle of. But the idea was that we were trying to think of what would describe what we were doing and where we go and the places that we see. And the yeah. Northwest was, was part of that. Right. Had sort of an old-timey feel to it that kind of went with the old-timey feel of the David B. But it's also this idea that it's kind of cool to be navigating. You're going through your life. You're navigating. You're figuring out where things are. Navigating your adventures and your experiences, that sort of yeah. thing. I like the name. So you're listening to Northwest Navigation. All things motor vessel David B. Adventures, history, connection, nature. today the first podcast should really be about what is northwest navigation and jeffrey christine who are you and how did you get to here christine why don't you go first we decided to start this company about 20 years ago with this idea that we wanted to share nature and experience adventure wanted to really show people what the Northwest has to offer, which is, you know, beautiful scenery, really nice people, a great unusual experience of being on the water and then also being in the wilderness. And there's a way to get away from people and away from your regular life. Before we'd finished rebuilding the David B, we used to talk about what we wanted to do with this business we were going to start. Cell phones were still fairly new, and at the time, we thought, we want to have a place where people could be without their technology. It took us eight years before we were actually running the business, so we'd really talked a lot about what we wanted to offer people for a long time before we actually took that first step and had uh, people come on the boat. And I think that initial idea of having a place where people could come come onto the boat and really step away from their everyday life was something that I don't think we've ever lost. And while we may have more opportunity to have cell phones on board than we initially thought that we would, there are a lot of times where we look around at our passengers and realize that, you know, they've got binoculars around their necks and they're looking out and they're experiencing nature. This whole idea that we were going to be away from technology has become all the more important now as the cell phone has gotten even more and more ingrained in everything that we do. And we had this idea that they would just step away from it so that they weren't connected to the outside world by phone. But when we were thinking of that in 98, that was just because you could get phone calls. It wasn't the second by second kind of thing that everybody's involved with now with social media that really is changing the way people act towards each other and how the world works. So now it seems like it's even more important to try to get away and not be able to connect. And we aren't super sticklers about you can't use your cell phone because we know that people are addicted to it and people want to have that and they want to share with their when I'm the worst. With their friends. <laughs> Christine is the worst when she's ashore, but on the boat. I've learned to turn my cell phone off. Yeah. 
So I think that experience on the David B, when you get that antidote to connectedness media-wise versus connectedness to your environment, that makes the difference. And that that is an opportunity that you can give to people that's becoming more and more rare. You still might be able to get data on your phone, but at least you have an opportunity with the binoculars that you can see things that Christine pointed out or Jeffrey's heading towards. Often when you're with a group, you have this moment where something happens to the group and it makes a connection with the people in the group who are there. And it isn't something that's happening to everybody else on Facebook at the same time. It's something that's happening to you and the few people that are around you. And it causes you to make a connection with people that you can see right there and you can talk to. And, and like you said, maybe you still do have the data connection to the outside world, but you don't necessarily have to be talking to them because you can actually be with the people who are there. And I think there's a big change right now with people not knowing their neighbors, but knowing people across the country or across the globe that is really different than used to be. Tell us more about some of the passengers that you have on board and what are some of the typical characteristics of those pairs? People who are outgoing and people who really enjoy the company of others, people who like to get to know other people and and enjoy a real intimate setting and a really unique setting where the adventure that they get is authentic, it's not canned, it is it's something that's gonna change how they view the world um, and I think those are the the people that come on the boat the most we often joke that most people that come on the boat are engineers we're not sure why that is but they are <laughs> but um, yeah we we really enjoy having people who want to just experience life and experience through their own eyes and not through you know like a television show but they want to actually smell what it smells like to be immersed in an old-growth forest or in muskeg or in the middle of the ocean somewhere first went on a cruise on the David B. back in 2010. So this is Sarah. She does her reservations for us. And I became enamored with the history of the David B. and but also just with these two, um, their their lifestyle and their vision. It was very inspiring. And then of course the experiences on the David B. were were life changing. And it's, as fate would have it, I kept coming back to Bellingham, Washington, which is where everything is located here as far as Northwest Navigation Headquarters. And I had a background in engineering, so I thought it was interesting that Christine said, we get a lot of engineers. And I had to say, well, I'm, I'm raised my hand. I'm one of those. And as a part of my life, I think I like to help people who are inspired by their work. And I, after a while, I kind of endeared myself with Jeffrey and Christine by staying in Washington while they were in Alaska and house-sitting and cat-sitting for them. And, and then I kind of said, hey, I'd like to help you out. You guys are doing a great job, and I want to be able to part a bit of it. So being a part of it involved starting reservation. And so that's how I got here. And a couple of years ago, I moved to Bellingham full-time. And... Here I am, and now I get to be able to say I'm a part of Northwest Navigation, too. And it's, it's really nice to be able to share that with people when they ask me, hey, I want to be on the David B. Why should I be here? And I can tell them, and it's true and genuine, that it's an experience. There'll be once-in-a-lifetime sorts of exposures to whales and bears and salmon and glaciers. And there's always a learning component somewhere. Uh, we haven't really touched on that very much. 
Um, and I love to learn so that when they have her, these workshops that are about learning, can tie that in with usually some of our passengers, a lot of them have a lot of education or they love to learn or are curious about how the world works. And I think that's another thing that I like to be able to share with people. That's how I got here. What do you think when somebody's thinking about going to Alaska, do you think that they, when they're thinking about it, that they think they want to see? Like when you're going, I want to go to Alaska. What do you want to, what do you want to do? And then what is it that we give them that's different from what other, other forms of tourism would give them? I think people are expecting glaciers and whales for sure. I think what we give them that they don't expect are just that up close. When you can be in a kayak and see bears on the on the beach eating versus when you're on a major cruise ship where you're thinking, oh, I'm going to Alaska and I'm going to see glaciers and whales, but we're going to be right by them. That I don't think they expect that, but hopefully we convey it a little bit so it gets them on the David B. But I don't think they realize it until they actually get there, Yeah, how think, intimate that is. Yeah, I think one of the things that I really enjoy the most is being with somebody who didn't who like they knew what they were getting getting into right <laughs> <laughs> but they knew they knew what they they wanted to get on the boat they saw that we offered this adventure but they just didn't realize how big it was going to feel to them you know the internet you know you can look at the pictures that are on the website and everything and it can convey you know we'll see these things but i think once you get in into the wilderness you get you know off the dock and we steam away and and then you're there and you know you see a glacier you know a quarter of a mile from a face of a 300 foot wall of ice and you get to hear that pop and you get to watch the ice fall off the face of it and feel a little bit of the swell from when after it's capped I think those are the experiences that no matter how much we say, oh my gosh, this is what you're going to see, it's not until you get there that you actually see it. Like my uh, sister came on a trip years ago and we went up to Dawes Glacier and it was this foggy day and rainy and we weren't even sure we were going to see the glacier when we got up there. It was that foggy. And we get up there and the glacier starts calving and I look over at my sister and she's got these enormous eyes and she's like, is this okay? I'm like, this is why we're here. <laughs> yeah, you know, I thought that that was that just totally expresses how how different it is. A lot of people, if they want to see it as close as we get to see it, they have to pay extra to go do that, and they get back on their boat and they go away. Where we will stay in the fjords, or we'll stay in Glacier Bay, and then you get to feel what sunrise is like at this place or sunset at an anchorage. And, and that's something that I really hope when people are thinking about what they want to get out of their trip to Alaska, is it that the scenery is just background to the space that you're moving through? Or do you want to be part of that scenery? Do you want to be immersed in that? I really like this thing that we don't go very fast because I think that part of what's really cool about a vacation is that you do something that's really awe-inspiring and you you come back from it, you know, just totally amazed by what happened. But I think there's also this thing where you need to be going slow enough while you're doing it. You get to experience the feelings you, you're having there at the time. You go flying through something and it's really cool. You saw, you know, some huge area in a short amount of time and it was really amazing and you saw all this stuff and you really only can process that 
completely when you're back at your job or back at your regular life. Mm -hmm. And while that's kind of cool, I really like that we're actually slow enough that we're doing that kind of feeling, but we're also giving people time at the time to try to absorb some of the stuff. But I really don't like the thought that people go home from our, our trip exhausted. They should go home from it having had all these experiences that they can think about, but also feeling like they were taking them in at the time and processing them, at least somewhat at the time. Yeah, I think lots of people have told me that the experience takes time to sort of digest and to understand what they really experienced. It sometimes takes months before they, you know, they'll say, I kind of changed because of what I have seen with you guys and that's really that's really cool I really do feel like it changes me you've been listening to Northwest Navigation join us next time until then fair winds I think we're doing well. We're coming up with a theme right now. (laughs) Well, so is it life is short, make good choices? Is it what inspires, who, what, where inspires us? I don't know. Are we talking about us or are we talking about them? Well, we're sort of talking about like the metaphysical everything. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Wow. Is that that big enough of a topic or do you think we should go for a bigger topic? (laughs) Well, I think a Northwest navigation where you're trying to navigate your life. I suppose you could talk about the both. metaphysical everything. <laughs> metaphysical everything. Well, you know, I know. I think I think we talk a little bit about what inspires us and stories of you know how we've been either inspired by our guests or have inspired our guests or you know, something like that. start what holds people back from making their desires come into you know a reality so you know I might desire to go on one trip somewhere or something like that but there's always something holding me back is it you know a commitment I have for that weekend or that week somewhere else is it um, I don't want to spend the money is it I don't couldn't possibly do that or maybe I'm afraid or you know there's all these all these things that hold hold somebody back from you know say maybe not going on a trip or but just in life what holds you back you know we were talking about publishing the kids book like you know there was a lot that kind of held me back from that for a long time and then finally it you know, number of things came into place that you know I helped to put in and other people you know showed up and presented opportunities and then that that happened and so you know there was a lot that was holding me back but then once I committed to it it got done I think that that brings us to like this funny part about the two of us doing things doing projects on the boat doing running the boat all these different things and how many of them we go into 
and we're willing to jump into them without having done them before. Like we're not actually that worried about trying something new. And like not this in the podcast. What's that? Yeah, like, like this, this podcast. Like this podcast, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Like the whole concept of this podcast. And we didn't know how to do it and we don't know whether we're our recording our sound is gonna be good and all these different things, but we're willing to jump into it and do it and try to make it work. And it's not like we went into running the boat that way, because we actually had been thinking about a bunch of things like that that we wanted to do for a long time, working in the direction towards running a boat and we we had the skills and we had the licenses and you had the skills for cooking and you had the skills for being a naturalist and so it wasn't like we totally jumped into that, but we hadn't run a business before and we hadn't, you know, operated that boat before and we hadn't had to do a huge rebuild on our own before. And then, you know, we we knew where we were going on our way to Alaska because I'd been through there a bunch, but we actually hadn't done a trip like that before that. And that, mm-hmm. you know, it's all, it is this thing that we kind of do a lot of, we do things that we haven't done before. Trying something new. Trying something new. Sarah, what's your take on the two of us? I've always admired that about the both of you. I mean, you're always trying to push out new things to try, uh, not whether it's just a winter project or it's something with the business or trying to reach people. I think that's always been really uh, inspirational. And then the other thing, too, a lot of times just getting started is the hardest part. And once you get there, it's got its own momentum. And you guys have had enough experience of you have confidence that you're going to be able to finish it. Right, you might not know exactly where it's going, or have it completely thought out as far as, and sometimes a lot of times it doesn't always wind up exactly the same way. But you have confidence that it's gonna, you're going to make it work, and you have enough experience with that, whether it's the rebuild or what have you, just that you can build on it. And I think that's the thing that a lot of people who, when they're holding themselves back, is because they don't know. And you guys have been through it enough that so you're like, well, even if it doesn't entirely work out the way we think it's going to be, we're going to make it work. We'll figure something out. Yeah, Yeah. figure something out. I don't think people think through a lot of this fear, apprehension kind of thing. I think a lot of times they have something they want to do and they aren't sure why they won't do it. I don't think people think all the way through it and say, oh, I am fearful of that and that's why I'm not going to go do... Does that make sense? Right. No, they don't recognize recognize that there's fear that's... that's holding them back from, they see something, they're like, oh, I'd really like to do that. Like, you know, I'd really like to climb this mountain, but oh, I could never do that. I'm not strong enough, fit enough. I don't wear the right shoes, you know. They don't go through that. They just immediately say that they're not going to do it. It's like, I'd yeah. like to do that, but I'm not really, I'd like to do that, but I'm not going to do that. And uh, and I think the lack of recognizing it is kind of the, the beginning of the problem. I mean, it's always the joke, right? First, you have to know that you have the problem. <laughs> right, right. But the I think that that's kind of the thing is trying to recognize why it is that it would bother you to what it is you think you're worried about for whatever reason for whatever thing you're trying to do and we talk a lot about how when people are on the boat it changes them mm-hmm. and in general people like their lives the way that they are even if they have complaints or venting about it in general but Sometimes they're just afraid of just the change itself and not recognizing that, well, if I come back from this trip, will I, how will I be changed? Mm-hmm. And is it going to be worth it? Or, um, or will it be, I've seen something I can't not see anymore right? in myself or in my life or 
just how I want to travel, right? I think we offer them a new experience that makes them question how do they travel. Right. Like I think one of the things that people, when we talk with them on the boat, that they say a lot, you know, there's always a fear of who else is going to be on the boat. And I think to me, like, I am always really excited about who else is going to be on the boat, because every week it's a new person, you know, and so you're like, oh, well, who, who's it going to be this week? You know, is it somebody we've known before, who's been on the boat before, or are they new people? And I think the fear of other people is something I wish that I could erase, because people I have found are enjoyable to be around. They have insights and stories and backgrounds that I'm endlessly fascinated by. I love it when I'm in the galley and I'm eating bread or chopping vegetables or something. And and there's like this conversation going on and somebody is explaining something about what they've done for work or some other place that they've visited or some experience that they had. And, and that just makes me like super happy because I know that there's there's life experience out there and then I get to sort of kind of suck in those life experiences that they have and there's all these like places and books and things that I want to experience myself that I've learned through my passengers and that's one of the things that I love about about what we do is welcoming people onto the boat and getting to know them and hopefully bringing them into our fold and then we can you know have longer relationships where you know they come back year after year and we've also spent a lot of time going and visiting with our our boat passengers and so so I love those relationships that we get and that's because I have learned not to be fearful of others so I just want to say something to add on to what Christine was saying for the passengers who are fearful of the other passengers that they don't know yet and I just want to share an experience a lot of times when we do our San Juan Islands trips, I get to meet the boat at the beginning when everybody's boarding, and then I get to be back four days later even, and these are sh- shorter trips, and at the end, everybody's hugging. They're all very sad that the trip has ended, and they didn't know these people four days ago, and to see that transformation, if I could just bottle that, and for the people who are like, well, who else is going to be on the trip? Because I get that question as a reservation you know, potential reservation, who else is going to be on this trip? If I could just bo- open that bottle and just share all these hugs and after four days, people are just so happy that they got to experience those other people. If I could just share that, I would. actually worried about what we're doing because of the wilderness aspect of it. I hadn't really thought about that. We talked a lot about like who are the other weirdos on the boat going right, to be. But there's big scary bears but there's out big there. there's scary bears <laughs> out there and and you know, it, the the bears are scared of each other cuz yeah. they live on an island with a whole bunch of big scary bears. Yeah. And uh, the the thought that you could overcome that and be with a group and go wander around on on an island that you know is inhabited by lots of bears or or uh, you know just go for a really quiet hike in the woods knowing that there's things like wolves and and uh, moose and all kinds of things out there I think that's a really big deal for people and I think a lot of people who spend their lives in cities not dealing with that kind of thing don't know 
uh, how enjoyable it is to overcome that kind of fear. You've been listening to Northwest Navigation. Until next time, fair winds. Our music is from Blue Dot Sessions. You can find them at sessions.blue. I think we should do a podcast just about cats. Just about cats. cats? Yeah. Just about cats. I think we would Before all... or after the one about the heads. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I even gave I, you a lead-in. Don't people share stories with you on the on the pilot house and everything? No, but what's interesting is I... That's what's weird is they kind of... Well, no, but they don't really. Oh. And I think it's because people don't... Uh, that's what I was trying to get at is people don't want to talk about oh, the, their, fear. this, their fears. Hmm. And they don't come up and they're like, yeah, I thought everybody would be a weirdo. Can I take that off? You know, it's funny because they, a lot of times they'll... They tell you that? And they'll tell me that. This is Northwest Navigation, where we talk about everything David B. Cruising, the Northwest, and the metaphysical everything. talk to Josh McGinnis. He's a whale biologist and he's also an all-around good guy and he comes on a trip with us every year as our guest naturalist. We actually sat down with him over Skype and talked about a bunch of the things that we've seen and where he got his start and, and what things he really likes about being a marine biologist. It's a very cool career and he's gotten to have a lot of fun going to cool places and doing interesting research. And When he comes on the boat, He's a lot of fun to have around. We started by talking about where his career had begun. Yeah, so I grew up in Port McNeil, uh, British Columbia, so a small little town on the inside of eastern Vancouver Island. It was a town based on logging and fishing, and it really was kind of uh, in the middle of nowhere. It had a population at that time of around a thousand people, and it was kind of a neat place to grow because you're surrounded by nature. You know, you got killer whales in Johnstone Strait, which is a famous spot for seeing the orcas that come and visit the area. You know, it's one of the best places to fish for salmon, um, rivers and streams and bears and cougars that are there. It's an old growth rainforest too as well. Uh, what is left of old growth rainforest still. Um, so it's a pretty cool place to actually just spend some time growing up, getting to be one with nature in, in some way. Is that kind of what led you to wanting a career doing something like that? Yeah, so... I grew up really liking all sorts of wildlife. You know, as a kid, I was absorbed in, in insects and spiders and, you know, all the gross things like that. And I also loved dinosaurs and, loved, you know, pretty much anything you can possibly think of that was to do with biology. When I was about 12 years old, I had an opportunity to witness a, a killer whale, a group of killer whales actually chase a, a small uh, group of Pacific white-sided dolphins into the Port Hardy Harbor. And Port Hardy is a small town about 30 kilometers uh, north of Port McNeil, so it's really on the edge of the north tip of Vancouver Island and they had actually just killed a, a Pacific white-sided dolphin right in front of us we were just fishing off the dock my cousin and I and um, 
you know, I everybody was down at the docks taking pictures, and we had been there fishing all day, so we had a front row seat to this event. And right after that, I was applied for a job whale watching in Port McNeil, and got a job. I was about 13 years old in the summer, and I was working on a whale watching boat, and it kind of just went from there. It became kind of a lifelong passion, and you know, ever since then, I've been kind of just been following the orcas along the coast. It's cool to get to see that and and have that set you on a path that you're uh, you're still on. Oh, it's been spectacular. Yeah, so um, over the years, we know that you've been involved with different types of research, and maybe what we should talk about is um, one of the things that we love about having on the boat is that you do know a lot about whales, and um, especially killer whales, and maybe you should take a minute to explain that what makes um, uh, the Pacific Northwest kind of special and Alaska special is that there's these different populations of killer whales and what they what they do. When she led yeah. into that, I thought she was going to tell you that you knew stuff about things other than killer whales. But no, apparently Josh we're back know anything to else. <laughs> no, Josh no. only knows about killer whales. That's Just it, right? <laughs> what makes the the, coast, the Pacific Coast so unique is, I mean, this was this first area. I mean, um, where killer whales were studied. I mean, the 1970s killer whales were the, the focus study of a species that is globally distributed is actually the Pacific Northwest. And this was a starting point. So what is very neat is that you have these three different kinds of orcas. And when I say kinds of orcas, we um, they're not different species as of yet, but um, research has shown that they are different forms or ecotypes that don't associate but live sympatrically or live side by side in the same same waters. And that's really interesting because, you know, to the untrained eye, they all look very similar, but they actually have completely different lifestyles. And that really makes this region special because in nature, that is very, very uncommon to find a species that still lives side by side that's evolving into a separate species in total. So these three different groups of orca are on this evolutionary pathway to becoming a new species, and we're seeing it right in front of us. And it's, you know, not separated by a river. These, you know, the species aren't separated by a river or separated by a mountain chain. They're they're right here in our backyard, and we get to actually witness it. Being able to see these animals in the wild and show people on board vessels like the David B that you have residents one in one moment, and then you see transients in probably the same day, it, it's really mind-blowing because they can actually, you know, after you explain to them what this evolutionary path that these different forms of killer whale are taking, they can actually see it, which is really exciting because you can actually start to see how they start to see the species um, changing as well. And it's kind of an exciting thing for both myself as a researcher and for the customers too. While you're doing orca research, you've actually spent a bunch of your time teaching, doing other kinds of biology and shoreside kind of stuff as well. And I always think that's kind of cool. We go to the the beach with you and you're able to point out what things are and tell us about life cycles and that kind of stuff. I, that, that kind of stuff's pretty cool too. Yeah, I always really like when um, we're on the beach and somebody will bring you like a snail or a rock with some barnacles on it. And and what's really fun is seeing how you can describe these creatures. You can give them, you know, the scientific name, which always really impresses people. But <laughs> also, um, but also just go into the detail of how how these creatures, you know, live. I think uh, there were 
couple different snails you taught us about uh, last time you were on the boat, one that's carnivorous and one that's not carnivorous. And mm-hmm. the carnivorous one drills into shells of things. And, and like, you know, that was just really cool. And, and people get all really excited about, about learning that kind of stuff. I find uh, a couple of years ago, we got a microscope for the David B and mm-hmm. uh, pulling up uh, samples of plankton has been fun. And I remember uh, one time when you mm-hmm. were, uh, uh, had pulled some up, and I think there was a little jellyfish or something in the sample. And remember how excited you were about that. Yeah, that was, I, you know, that that was so cool. I mean, you know, seeing something microscopic, especially with plankton, is so neat because many of these organisms that you actually see in the tide pool actually were these microscopic organisms at one point floating around in the currents, and they look completely different from what you see what you would see in the tide pool and they're an adult organism so when you pulled up one once and i was showing a guest and i said it's a barnacle and they go that doesn't look like a barnacle at all and it's like well yeah it's going it has to go through these stages of life this metamorphosis and that then will you know it will settle one day in a tide pool or along the beach and become this barnacle that we all recognize so actually seeing this transformation and people being having the opportunity to understand how these organisms come to be and you know how they move throughout the currents and settle and that whole micro aspect on the David B with having a microscope in the plankton toe, it just opens up a whole different world that most of us aren't used to seeing. Yeah, I think it's really fun because we'll leave the microscope out with a sample. And I love how many people throughout the day will go and check on the samples and see, you know, <laughs> what's in there. And then, or I've got a book on board that they can also look up for themselves what they're seeing. So so that's certainly another aspect of the ecology cruise we do with you that makes it really fun and engaging. Yeah, so um, besides killer whales, we also get to see humpback whales, and mm. so we should would talk about those just a little bit, because... If you don't want to uh, talk about them, if that's you okay, talk, though, John. Yeah, I mean, well, they're just humpback whales We could just go back to talk about killer whales. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, no, humpbacks are, humpbacks are the elephants of the sea. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah, so so we definitely get to see humpback whales on these trips. The humpbacks are spectacular. I mean, we, we you know, like our, the last trip we had together, I remember we sat with the humpback for, I think, an hour, and it just breached every minute it was breaching. Um, and I remember That's we got right. to the point where we could totally guess where it was going to breach out of the water. You know, every customer, I think, even with their cell phones, were getting images that were, you know, National Geographic kind of, you know, like style. vessel and um, you know hear your stories and I've been very very thankful for that so I thank you both for you know having me on the water for the last you know I guess well the five years that I've been able to come out with you and I mean it feels like it was just like not long ago but um, definitely I really appreciate everything you guys have done and I learn every day something new from you it's always so cool how when we pull up plankton which Christine has started doing all the time we pull up plankton (laughs) and we put it under the scope and we're looking at it and uh you know we have the books there and we 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 do pretty well christine has got a lot of that knowledge and we can we can tell you a lot about what you're seeing but it's really not the same as it is when you're on the boat because we just don't have all that knowledge we've been focusing on doing other things i guess and and haven't learned that stuff as well as you have and so it's really fun when you're there and you can be like okay this is what's going on with this little creature over at the left here and this is this i don't know it's just really cool i think that i think that it's really neat to because we all bring something 
you know, to the table when it comes to skills. I mean, your navigation, you know, the cooking on board the boat, the how you guys react and work with customers, you know, it really makes for a comfortable and amazing trip. And it's really neat. And I, I mean, I learn stuff every time I come on the trip and, you know, like information about brown bears and, you know, how, you know, areas in Southeast Alaska and where to go and how you guys work in nature because, you guys are very non-invasive when you go in and do your things. It's really actually nice to see where, you know, companies sometimes aren't like that. And it's um, it's a breath of fresh air to actually be with some people that actually appreciate nature. Until next time, fair winds. Our music is from Blue Dot Sessions. They can be found on the web at sessions.blue. I, I don't know. I think we um, we could ask him about his um, his uh, upcoming adventure to Antarctica, but that might have to bring up, you know, <laughs> you know. Oh, you mean when he goes and works for the evil empire? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Josh is going to go work for the evil empire and but uh, get to fulfill a uh, lifelong dream of going to Antarctica, and we're very excited for him for that. And that's pretty cool. You, I'm actually really yeah. jealous of you that that uh, you're going to get to go work down there. I'm definitely nervous, you know, like, I mean, I got to fly down there. That's one thing. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, I'm, I'm excited to see. Okay. Oh, look at that. This Whoa. It works. Yeah. Mind blown. I know it's technology stuff. It's not for us young people. I know. Young people. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> you know, if we were like seventeen, we'd know how to do this. We would, <laughs> yeah, right? we would totally know how to do it. Yeah, we uh, we've pulled up a whole bunch of really cool stuff in that, and in the um, the sea strainers, we got some squid in the sea strainers. No this way. Year. Yeah. yeah. Really? Like uh, probably it was about like, that big. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I'm, I say, I'm a I'm a closet cephalopod nerd, so I need to <laughs> I need to get up, I need to see this. <laughs> it was awesome. Why do we want to see bears? That's like the big question for me about everybody who comes out. What is it about a bear that seeing one is beneficial? And I feel that it's like deeply beneficial. I think it's really valuable. Um, and so that's, that's a question I always want to ask people is like, what did this mean to you? This week, bears. We're talking to Dan Kirkwood, a bear guide. He takes people out to see bears. And we have a lot of interesting thoughts about seeing bears. We spent a lot of time out in the wilderness, out on walking trips in bear country, and Dan takes us to a really cool spot on a couple of our trips, and a lot of good things come from that. Get a lot of good pictures. But there's something deeper about bears, about why people want to see bears, and what bears mean to people. Remember last time we forgot to ask Josh about who he was and yeah (laughs) let's not forget to do that (laughs) so so dan you got to tell us your name and who you are and then like the two minutes of how you got to alaska okay 
My name is Dan Kirkwood. I'm a guide and the manager at Pack Creek Bear Tours in Juneau, Alaska. I have been working at Pack Creek for four or five years now. Prior to that, I was a wilderness ranger with the U.S. Forest Service, campaign manager for the Alaska Wilderness League, and had worked on various whale watching boats out of Juneau before that. I moved to Juneau in 2009, so this is uh, this is my 10-year Alaska anniversary, and I did kind of move to Alaska to impress a girl who had like been living in Africa, and I was like, oh man, I'm living in Washington, D.C., I've got this boring job right out of college, if I don't change something fast, I'm going to be stuck. So I moved up to Alaska thinking I'd spend a summer there, and been there pretty much ever since. I met you guys on the docks in Bellingham when I was getting started working for the Alaska Wilderness League and just trying to meet other people who ran tours in Alaska who had interests in the same things that I did, which was, you know, this conservation element of our work, which is that, um, you know, I, I really appreciate working with you guys because we both end up involved in a lot of public meetings with the Forest Service or, or thinking about conservation um, of wildlife, but also of the experience that we share with people. On that concept of the experience, what's your take on being out there at Pat Creek with the bears, actually on the beach with the bears? Well, I think one of the things about Pat Creek, and we can sort of describe the the scene at Pat Creek in a little more detail. But one of the things that I think just from, from my standpoint, my, my enjoyment of it is that as a guide, just being around brown bears on the ground is wild. And I feel like whether the bears are really close or even when the bears are like way out over the tide flat, for me, that's always been sort of the addictive quality that keeps me coming back where it's like, Oh my God, I'm standing on the same piece of ground as this monster humanity has always been afraid of bears like that goes way back and it, it's always exciting for me sometimes i think it's more exciting for me than the clients yeah i i sometimes think that too about about me because i'm like oh my gosh i'm so excited about this and and i think they pick up on that too but i think when you talk about the you know i'm standing on the ground with the monster i think what's really cool and you brought this up a couple times too when we've been there, is that by being around and being able to quietly observe these animals, they lose their sort of monster yeah. um, uh, mystique and they become, you know, almost like personalities, like people you can recognize or their personalities or something that you can recognize. And I think that that's a really, really important thing when sort of kind of learning about nature and animals. And I really like that that's one of the things that when you're on the boat or, you know, you're, we're on shore with you that, that you really do bring out is that they had these might be monsters before you hit the shore, but by the time you leave, you know, they, they all have personalities that everybody that we've taken there They'll spend the rest of the trip with us describing each bear with, you know, like, oh, and this one did this and this one did that. And, and yeah, and then suddenly they're, they're like people they know almost. Yeah, well, I think that, that that captures a really important aspect of how I look at bears, which is the distinction from, like, their scary monsters to their cuddly, cute things. And, and I think that it's important to respect the whole spectrum of their being which is that bears are incredibly intelligent animals with social dynamics and personalities and moods 
And they're also incredibly dangerous, perilous animals. And I, I see amongst people who come out to Pack Creek that spectrum of views of bears. Some people come out and they want to just dig their fingers into that deep fur and cuddle their furry ears. And I'm with them. I agree. They, I would love to do that. But at the same time, you have to respect that they're powerful, powerful animals who don't want people to touch them. And the fact that we're able to go walk on the same ground with them is just indicative, again, of their social intelligence, their tolerance. And I think that that whole spectrum of like, what does it mean to be a bear? What is what are bears? Um, that's that's like the philosophical side of Pat Creek that I find really interesting. What did this mean to you? Why? Why do you want to be here? And I think sometimes it's just like being close to a powerful animal like that is really exciting. Yeah, I think it um, gives people a sense that that they're not they're not always the ones, you know, that humanity isn't always the ones on top. And when I, you know, when I when I think about that, I think about, you know, nature can be greater, you know, or nature is greater than than people. And I think it's a really powerful way to be able to to go in there and say it's not all about humans and human beings it's you know it's about the interactions of wildlife with forest with water with with other nature and to be able to put yourself into a different perspective i think is always really important and especially if you do that with a very powerful animal it it really gives you a new outlook on you know what it's like to be human yeah, glaciers are almost kind of that way too, aren't they? They are. They really do put you in your place. It's also, there's this urge that humans always have to see these, I don't know what the term is, but like we like going to watch sporting events with pro teams because they're so good at what they do. And, you know, you go to a boxing match, not because you're worried that the guys in the ring are going to jump over the side. It's not like a hockey game where they might come into the stands after you, but like this thought that these people are so good or the bears in this case are so strong and sort of possibly there's a side to it where they could do you in. But yet, I mean, it's this really cool thing of seeing something that's that well suited in its environment suited to it. So tell us how it usually works, like what the procedure is and what you do at Pat Creek. Tell us about, maybe back up first. Let's talk about what is Pat Creek and why does it exist? Right. Yeah, I, th- I think that's that's an important piece of context, right? Because there are bears throughout Alaska. There are bears throughout Southeast Alaska. Um, the most, uh, I think the most iconic bear in Alaska is the brown bear. Um, it's just the same species as the grizzly bear. Of course, in Alaska, we have black bears, brown bears, and polar bears. The polar bears are only found way up north. Black bears are found pretty much throughout the state. Brown bears are are throughout the state. And again, this is basically the same species as the grizzly bear. And the grizzly bear is just the brown bear that you find in interior places. And by interior places, I mean like away from the ocean, right? So like Denali National Park, we call them grizzlies. Yellowstone National Park, we call them grizzlies. But when they're along coastal areas, uh, we call them brown bears, just how we do it. So Pack Creek is one of thousands of salmon streams throughout Southeast Alaska. And if so, if you're, if you're cruising through the inside passage, um, in the middle of the summer, there's going to be salmon spawning in thousands of streams and and in thousands of streams, there'll be bears feeding on fish. What makes Pack Creek 
special, a handful of things. One, it's a really nice estuary from the standpoint of seeing bears. It's just a nice mid-sized creek. And it has a long history of people coming there to view brown bears. So the history of Pack Creek is that in the early 1900s, the Forest Service established it as a brown bear viewing site. And then on top of that, there was a guy who homesteaded there semi-illegally, the legendary Stan Price. And his homestead at the mouth of Pack Creek out in the meadow where the tide comes in probably contributed a lot to helping the bears become accustomed to seeing people in a way that's not threatening. And so with sort of regular visitation and very low levels of visitation, right? Because it's a balance. Um, bears were able to become accustomed to seeing a handful of people without enough people coming that the bears were scared off. And that, I think, to me, is another thing about bear viewing that is, I think, counterintuitive, that the most likely thing you're going to do is scare the bears. Despite being powerful, solitary animals, they're very conflict adverse. So if like a bear sees you and it can leave, it will probably leave. But at Pack Creek, we have this really neat opportunity where a handful of bears seem to be cool with us as long as we keep to very predictable locations. And then other bears, I think, kind of like look to those bears for social cues and they're like, okay, you're not scared. There's like these apes walking around on the beach and you don't seem scared. Okay, I guess I'm not scared. what it's like at Pat Creek. So let's go back to what it's like when we arrive at the beach and all the guests are in the skiff. So what happens at Pat Creek when we arrive is, and, I, and we generally try and keep it very much the same. We come ashore at the same spot on the beach. While we're ashore, we keep our voices low. And we try and keep like our physical profile low as well. So that means that we don't want to be moving around a lot. We don't want to be waving our arms, for example. We don't want to be spread out. The more that we're in a tight group, moving slowly, moving calmly, um, that's going to help the bears feel more comfortable. So we'll move slowly, quietly up the beach, and then we'll walk along the same part of the beach that we always walk. And I think that that's something that the bears have seen us do before. They feel comfortable with us there. Uh, I have seen people deviate from that path. I've seen them like walk out into the tide flats and the bears don't seem to like it. I think I used to like rush a lot more with wildlife. I used to be a lot more impatient, but help helping me with that has been that, you know, when you, you go a lot and you spend the time, you realize there's nothing you can do, but put the time in. It is often tough just sitting there, especially when nothing's going on and you've told people you're going to show them wildlife and there's no wildlife. Right. And then I think that my, the answer that I've developed for myself on that, because yeah, I'm in the same boat. I'm like, boy, I'm getting antsy, really like something to happen. That with bears, the best thing you can do, like you're like, okay, I want to do something. The best thing you can do is sit there and be quiet. Because the more you move around, the more you try, the more motion you're, you're throwing out there, the more your scent you're spreading around, 
gotta just let it come to you. I, we we had a TripAdvisor review once where the person was like, it, it was a, it was admittedly a slow day, and they were a little disappointed that we couldn't go get some bears. You know, we couldn't go you know go flush one out or something. And and I totally understand that that feeling, but that that would just sort of guarantee you didn't see anything. It's a pretty zen. It's a pretty zen line of work. Our music is from Blue Dot Sessions. You can find them on the web at sessions.blue. This is Northwest Navigation. Until next time, fair winds. So, is there anything else we need to talk about? Do we miss anything? What What do you like talking about, Dan? I was thinking that, like, for a closing the, the, thought, the answer is bears. <laughs> Well, well, do you have anything What's about like thought? bears and surprises and bear jokes or, you know, anything like that? There are, you know, so many of the guides that I work with are really good at bear puns and I'm <laughs> so bad at them. But like, <laughs> I know guides who can talk in nothing but like bear puns, like, you know. Bear. And you're barely able to pull it off. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm positively horrible at it. People will always say, oh, we loved it. It was wonderful. Thank you so much. But, you know, you don't get as much of the personal impact. And it was high impact. Andy will tell you, when I came home, my boots were walking about six inches off the ground. Let me tell you about this. It was quite different. This time, we're talking to Bill. Bill went with us on a trip last year. Had a great time. He was on a trip where we teach people how to take their own boats up the inside passage from Bellingham to Ketchikan. But what he experienced is pretty common in a lot of our trips. A little introduction. So tell us tell us who you are. Yeah, so my name is Bill, and I had the great pleasure of going to Alaska from Bellingham to Ketchikan in 2018 on the David B., I'm, I'm an experienced boater, uh, lived on my boat in Southern California for five years, had boats for eight years on the ocean, grew up on the water, and I had it in my head for a long, 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 long time that I was going to take my own boat to Alaska. And I said that out loud uh, in the end of March of 2018 when my nephew was here, and he said, you know, Uncle Bill, you've been saying that for 25 years when are you going to do something about it i said well huh and i picked up my iphone and googled the phrase something like learning to cruise to alaska and i found a bunch of people that would give me uh, a classroom course in inland colleges or an online course or 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 and i went down and there's this headline from Northwest Navigation. And I clicked on it, 
first thing I saw was the David B and thought that looks like the coolest possible way to go to Alaska and learn this. The more I read, I realized that that was the right kind of setting for me. Um, in a small group, I think, including Jeffrey and Christine, there were seven of us aboard. And, you know, I said, this is going to be a great learning experience. 700 plus miles, Bellingham to Ketchikan, over a period of 12 days. I think I'll learn what I need to learn. But what I thought I needed to learn was how to handle the open water passage, roughly 70 miles. That had always been a little bee in my bonnet. I was worried about it. And I thought, I've got to do this with somebody else to see how they do it. Little did I know how much more there was to learn, not only about navigation and safety, but about the places, the touch points, the things to see, how to really enjoy the trip. And I made my phone call. And I called and didn't get what I had hoped for, which was, yeah, come right on aboard. I was told, sorry, we're booked until 2019. Um, would you like to make a reservation for 2019? I was very disappointed. No, but, you know, maybe you just put me on the wait list or the cancellation list. And I was told, well, we never get cancellations. This is a much in demand cruise. And, you know, you may just want to think about 2019. Two days later, the gods all shined on me, and I got a call that said, well, guess what? We have an opportunity if you want to come. Um, and they kind of laid out what I needed to do, how I needed to prepare. I said yes, and um, turned out to be a fabulous experience. Cool. That didn't yeah. sound a whole lot like introducing myself. <laughs> do, you want, do you want more about me? Um, yeah, it it uh, it is interesting because you weren't uh, it, you you actually had a lot of boating knowledge. You mm -hmm. you you'd spent a bunch of time driving a boat around and driving your boat around, and you also had been out on the ocean. And uh, so, in in some ways, you're you're like a lot of the people we get on the trips, and then in some ways. A lot of those people don't have any experience. So, yeah, so um, I had a 45 foot uh, Lenoir um, twin diesel aft cabin motor yacht that I, I kept in Southern California. Uh, lived on it for five years. Um, I always thought I was one of the few boats that ever left the harbor. I put 1,200 hours on the engines in that period of time which is just marginally more than what you do in the David B in a in single, single year. year. Yeah. So, I, you know, I thought that I had a good background to be able to take the course, do the cruise, learn what I needed to know. But I also knew that, you know, Southern California boating and uh, British Columbia and Alaska are a whole different animal. So I, I was yeah. never confused about that. I knew there was a lot to learn. You know, in Southern California, it, if you have a 24-mile radar, you're never out of sight of land, right? You can right. always know where you are. I had those experiences, 
but I was never more than a radio call away from uh, somebody seeing me in 25 minutes to help me solve my problem. That's what I needed. And I knew that that would not, definitely not, be the case if I went to Alaska. Yeah, it's a little more, uh, <laughs> little more remote than that. Oh, just a little. <laughs> I'd been thinking about it for a lot of years. I'd no longer live near the ocean. So I wasn't looking at the ocean every day being reminded. Um, but when my nephew just said, hey, put up or shut up. <laughs> yeah. You've been talking about this for too long. Either get with the programmer, change this, you know, find a new topic to talk about. And that that's just kind of how I got to where I was. You, you mentioned that you live a long ways from the ocean. And uh, we're actually visiting you. Because you live a long ways from the ocean, because looking out the window where we are right now, we're looking at this gorgeous snowy view, and uh, we came here to go skiing with you. And we, which, and you and we got, have, and it's been awesome. And you've got <laughs> the best snow we've had in two or three yeah. years. Yeah, what we, what we get as you were stuck, unable to get here that first right. night, we had six or seven feet of snow in the Sierra Nevada, yeah. and it got really cold. So it was for us. That's dry snow right. that we were we've been on. Yeah, we cover yeah. some of the rest of it. Yeah. So tell us yeah. about um, at one point on the trip you were on, we stopped at this First Nations village. Yeah. It actually was kind of out of our way. It wasn't our plan, but for other reasons, we stopped at this First Nations village. Yeah. And it was it was late in the day. The sky was still light, but it was late in the day. And I was standing on the dock, and one of the guys from the village was down there on the dock, and I, you know, kind of a gregarious guy, and I said, hi, my name's Bill, and he said, oh, I'm Marvin. And I said, hi, Marvin, nice to meet you. What do you do, Marvin? I mean, tell me about yourself. And he said, well, I lead the defenders. Okay, what are the defenders, Marvin? Well, we look after the interests of the First Nations, and he used the word against, against the central Canadian government, because we were in British Columbia at the time. And I thought, well, okay, what, what, what does that mean? And he said, well, you know, they were going to build an oil terminal right up, um, you know, in this beautiful, pristine area and think that they're going to bring super tankers into the inside passage to load oil on them. And we told them they were crazy, and we fought, and we fought for, I don't know, five years or seven years, and they canceled. And I said, oh, okay, well, that's, you do anything other than, he says, oh, I look after the spirit bears. I love that terminology, that that's how, that's how he, like, yeah. like his wording, that's just really his, cool. His wording. Yeah. And I said, well, what are the spirit bears, Marvin? So, so somewhere in this, I had sent a text home that said, hey, just want you to know, I had a little bit of cell phone reception. This is the name of the village where I am. And uh, I'm standing on the dock talking to my new friend, Marvin. And a few minutes later, I get a text back from Andy, and she says, well, that wouldn't happen to be Marvin Robinson, would it? And I texted back, yes. And I got back this litany. I can't believe you're meeting Marvin Robinson. Do you know who Marvin Robinson is? 
And this one, I mean, she was just, here she is all the way back down, sitting at the base of the Sierras, excited about the guy that I'm meeting. And I think that village were about 125 people. Yep. Right? And she says, Marvin Robinson, he's the spirit bear guy. I went, okay, well, let me go talk to Marvin some more. <laughs> and so I said, Marvin, tell me about the spirit bears. And Marvin described it, and, and I'll translate it into the, to more of our customary description. Spirit bears are black bears that live on two islands, two islands only. So there's a little inbreeding there, and they have a recessive gene that creates a 50-50 probability of any one bear being white. Okay? Everything else about them is the same. But instead of having black fur, they have white fur. They're not albino. Okay? These are not albino bears. These are just black bears with white fur. They kind of look like a really light-colored golden retriever. Is that what they are? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they aren't like... Pure white, polar bear white. I mean, they're really, really light colored. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Creamy. Creamy white. So, yeah. so I said, okay, well, well, what do you do with the spirit bears, Marvin? Marvin says, I visit them. Long pause. Oh, okay. Well, what do you do when you visit them? He says, uh, he touches his forehead and says, we, we talk. Okay. And he says, and they like to touch me. I said, well, well, that's pretty novel. Tell me about that. He says, I think they don't understand why I have no fur on my face. And they're curious. So they come into a meadow and will see me and stand with me and touch me. And we'll be there for a while. And then when they're done, they walk away. And I go back, get in my boat and come home. So when I got home, needless to say, I went to YouTube and looked for Marvin Robinson. Marvin hasn't done any of his own videos, but there are some professional videos, stories done by well-financed naturalists that have gone in with Marvin to see the spirit pairs. And it was a remarkable story. So just think about the small world aspect of that. We didn't really intend to stop at that village. I had no idea who this guy on the dock was. Andy, because of the wonders of modern technology, was able to Google the name of the village and see this guy, Marvin, and tell me, how far away was I, 1,500 miles north or yep. more? Yep. Tell me that I was talking to Marvin Robinson. That was an amazing kind of thing have happened to you and i would imagine that if you spend four months doing things some with the schedule some without some being led around a little bit randomly by opportunity that that wouldn't be a terribly unusual kind of experience you may not meet marvin the marvin robinson specifically but you would encounter people like that People with stories that when we first hear them, I mean, I was scratching my head when he said, I take care of the spirit bears. I thought it was perhaps a cultural or religious thing, activity he was responsible for. No, it was for bears. 
root pairs. Right. That, oh, by the way, <laughs> in in my molecular language, have this recessive gene that allows them to not be black. It's pretty cool. Another thing we didn't talk about was there was this guy on the boat who was just there to see the scenery. Yeah. So it was interesting. I mean, you were on a, on a trip that was this learn to cruise class, and yeah. everybody else there was learning. Yeah. Except for this one guy. Daryl. Daryl. Yeah. Daryl. Yeah. I mean, Daryl, um, I, I would characterize as a chronically serial entrepreneur. Has started businesses, built businesses. Some have failed. Some have been successful. And you're kind of talking to Daryl. It's what he really enjoys. But what, what did he do? You know, a guy like that doesn't have a lot of free time. Let's be clear. Not a lot of free time in his life. What did he do? He took 12 days on a boat where other people were going to be studying and learning and trying to figure out. And he had the great, the great advantage of being an observer. And so, you know, any time of the day, now, Daryl was good at taking naps in the saloon, right? Yeah. He was good at that. But any time of day, you could find Daryl, and he's just observing, looking. Sometimes looking at us when we're in the pilot house and, you know, we're trying to set a course to go from A to B. He sat through in the evening when we would sit down and you'd say, okay, here's our target destination for tomorrow. Let's talk about how we get from here to there, what we're going to encounter, what we need to anticipate. Get out your tide books. Let's look at the tides. Daryl participated in all that, but he would just sit and go face to face and look at what other people were doing and how they were looking. That was, he was a heck of a guy. Heck of a guy. Really interesting. And like I said, it's a compliment. A chronic serial entrepreneur. And he unplugged for 12 days. Music is from Blue Dot Sessions. You can find them on the web at sessions.blue. Until next time, fair winds. Yeah, I can't think what. What were we jammering on about that time, right? Sure, it was really, really interesting. I think part of that was you were telling, you guys were talking about when you would accept an invitation to visit other guests. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's real, yeah. It's really fun to be here. Part of the reason we're here um, is because you were uh, you invited us here, and you were very persuasive about us wanting to come here. But a lot of it was sort of this conversation on the boat. Oh, do you guys ski? Oh, yeah, you ski. Well, you should come and stay with me because I live 22 minutes away from the best skiing. Yep. Yeah, this, it's this corner it's, of the world. Well, and you know, like I like I said, I was I was a little nervous for a couple of minutes. Going, did I push them too hard? They're such nice people. Maybe they couldn't just say, "We don't really want to be stuck having to see you for that long." Right. We did twelve days with you. That's enough. 